This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I'm absolutely thrilled that you've joined us today. Can you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And with that, I welcome you into what will be a very uh, exciting interview in a very important week. We are leading up to a pretty massively important election that's going to be happening in just a few days. You know, all elections are important, but not all elections are equally consequential. History has proven that some are even more important, more consequential uh, than others. And I would argue that the current moment that we stand in, not just because of its proximity or current relevance, but because of its historical uh, importance, is uh, one of the uh, significant lightning uh, flashpoints, rather, in our political history. There's so much for us to consider on everyone's ballot. Not only are there a number of gubernatorial seats up for election and senatorial seats up for election, but there's also uh, on on many ballots questions about voters' rights, parental rights, questions about the sanctity of life, uh, the value of women, and so much more. So some have asked the question, how political should the church be? And we know the spectrum, don't we? On the one hand, there are those who believe that the church should not be politically engaged at all, that we should totally avoid all things political. On the other hand, there are those who feel like our theology and our political uh, partisan opinions should be so aligned that for someone to vote opposite of us is to deny the gospel, to be excommunicated from the body of believers, to deny Christ. So which one is it? Should we be deeply involved in politics or should we not intermingle politics at all? We're going to put that question up on our uh, Facebook and social media page because I love to hear from you. Should religion and politics be separate or should they be tightly held together, never in intermingling at all? or actually uh, coming together in the way someone expresses their faith. But we're also going to, in addition to hearing from you online, have a wonderful conversation with an author of a, of a new book that I would highly encourage you order and you read, not just because an election is around the corner, but because as disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to think of how the gospel impacts all of our lives all of the time. The book is entitled Political Gospel, and I love this, Public Witness in the Politically Crazy World. Can I get an amen? I think a lot of you would say yes to that. Patrick Schreiner is the author of that book. Patrick is Associate Professor of New Testament and Biblical Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary 
in Kansas City, Missouri. He's also an author of several books, and I'm grateful for him joining me today to talk about his newest political gospel. Patrick, how are you, brother? Good. Great to be with you, Chris. I love the intro. Well, I appreciate you you joining us today. I, you know, I typically start an interview by asking uh, my guests, why did you write the book? But this one seems pretty obvious <laughs> on why you, you wrote the book. Um, but maybe I'll ask it in a different way. Why do you believe that you and others feel the church so desperately needs formation and discipleship in this area right now? Yeah, so I'm looking at the church, the American church specifically, and I see a lot of division around politics. It seems like it's just one of those lightning rod issues that people have strong opinions about. And, you know, I've seen churches split over politics. I've seen people leave the church over politics. I've seen pastors hurt because of maybe something they said, and then it hurt a congregant, a member at their church. And I've seen friendships end over politics. And so... As I was examining the scriptures and reading the scriptures, I thought, man, we need to do more in terms of helping people think biblically about how to engage in the political sphere. And so I I believe in the church. I believe in God's people. But I also think we need to do some more work around this topic of political discipleship. And, And I just call it political discipleship because I think we believe Jesus affects every part of our life, and that includes our political lives. And so really, we want to be formed into the image of Christ and how we think about all things. And uh, politics is not the most important thing in one sense, but it is something that affects our lives. And it is something we need to engage with, I'm going to argue. And so we want to have a Christian view of politics and how to engage in whatever governmental system we live with. Folks like David French, who write for the uh, for the Dispatch, has uh, coined a term called the exhausted middle uh, to describe uh, about 67 percent of Americans who say they're just exhausted by the whole discourse, the mood of the moment, the scorched earth type politics that are happening, the extreme partisan politics that seems to be played out uh, before us. What do you say to the person who just at the very introduction of this conversation says, I'm exhausted, Patrick. I just feel like tuning out and not listening. What's your argument for why they should read the book and listen? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I uh, I feel that myself. I feel exhausted. I feel a little politically homeless, as other people have said before. And so I sympathize and I empathize with that. Um, I, a few things just to think about. Number one, uh, one thing I try to do in this book is to remind people that our faith is actually political. I, I say something that seems counterintuitive in the book. I, I say the average Christian is not nearly political enough. And that sounds, um, that co- probably sounds crazy in and of itself, <laughs> because <laughs> I think most people would argue we're way too political. But what I mean by that it is not I think most people assume when I say that, that I'm saying you need to be more partisan um, and that you need to be more involved in elections or in local government or federal government. But actually what I mean by that is rising above what political means in our current day and rather recognizing that Jesus's message, that he is the king of our lives, that he's installing his kingdom is out at, at its foundation, a political message. And so politics, if you go back even to what the word means in history, is just 
the activities associated with the organization governance of a people. And really, Jesus came and showed us what that organization needs to look like, what the governance of a people needs to look like now. And I think, um, you know, that's instated now in the church and then in the new heavens and new earth, that's going to come in a more full sense. But so when I say the average Christian is not nearly political enough, I think we forget that our faith is not just a private thing, but it is a public thing and it's a political thing. And we're making a declaration, not that Jesus is just king or Lord of our lives, but that he's the king of kings. And so what that means is that we follow him before we follow even the governing authorities. Now, we need to talk more about more how those interact. But so that's the first thing I'd say in terms of if you're worn out by this conversation, remember that your faith is political. The second thing I'd say is that we need to remember that um, the decisions that we make in the public sphere, both as Christians and non-Christians, affects people and affects the suffering of people both here and around the world. And so we should care about it because we are a community of people, both as um, image bearers of God across the world and as maybe citizens of the United States, that we are together in this. And so what we do together matters. And so I, (laughs) yeah, I feel worn out by all the um, kind of throwing grenades at one another and saying, you're wrong about this, you're right about this. I, I think a lot of that is cable news wants to get their ratings up. And so if they get you angry, you're going to come back and you're going to hear more. But we have to remember politics matters because we care about the flourishing of humanity. And if we make bad decisions, if we elect um, people that are going to bring us down, really, uh, as humanity as a whole, that's not going to be good for people. And I, I would just remind people that the decisions we make in the political sphere matter. Um, yes. You know, it's it's easy I feel like a very privileged individual just in terms of sometimes it doesn't feel like these things affect me. But you have to remember people live in different situations and these decisions do really affect them every day. And so we, I think we just need to be aware of that. Aware of that. And as Christians, uh, we should care about how our fellow human beings are doing. Yes. Yeah, so two things I just got from what you said. Number one, we should listen and engage and read about this because Jesus and the gospel has something to say to us about this. And his words and his teaching should shape our lives. Secondly, we should pay attention to this conversation, read, listen, stay in the conversation because our vote impacts other people and uh and we need to make sure we're ever mindful and good stewards over that so i think that's powerful and it seems to me that your entire view in this area hinges on this concept of the kingdom of god what is the kingdom and how does it play into what the word of god has to say to us about politics Yeah, that's a great question. You know, when Jesus comes onto the scene, his summary of his message is that the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And so we we talk a lot about what the gospel means. We don't always talk about, as you said, what the kingdom means. And um, the kingdom is just a, a shorthand way of saying God's power in God's place over God's people. And so that, that's just, what does that mean? Well, that means that God is not just coming. God, Jesus Christ didn't just come to reform your heart, but actually to bring in a new society. 
So that gets to the public nature of our message. Now, I really believe uh, in evangelicalism, it's, it's really important to emphasize your own personal relationship with the Lord. That is so important. And I think we've done a really good job at that. But the negative side of that is that sometimes we forget that the gospel message isn't just about us. It's about a new society that he's creating. And so I really frame it around the kingdom because if you you recognize the kingdom of God is a political statement, um, you know, just put another word for kingdom of God in the biblical text, you could call it he's creating his empire. <laughs> now that so- sounds too um, authoritarian or monarchical for us, but you know, that's what Jesus declared. And if you remember throughout his life, um, when he comes to the trial, what do they ask him? Are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? And then when he's crucified, they hang a sign above his head that says, this is the king of the Jews. And so obviously Rome was a little worried about this figure who's declaring sure. a new kingdom. They they have a kingdom that's already instated. And you can see in Acts, as Paul goes into the different cities, he proclaims the message of Jesus as the Messiah. And in, in Thessalonica, in Acts 17, they say, hey, you're going against the decrees of Caesar. So one thing we need to remember is that in the biblical times, religion and politics were not two separate things. They were combined. Now, in our day, we say religion and politics are two different things. But when you read the Bible, that that was just not the case. And so I'm not saying we need to erase the separation of church and state. I actually think that's a good thing. But we need to remember that as Jesus preached, it wasn't like he just came as a religious figure. <laughs> he came as a political figure. But what's so interesting is that when he becomes before Pilate or when he beco- comes before Roman governors, and this is true in Paul's life too at the end of Acts, they look at them and they say, hmm, you seem to be innocent of all these charges. You are a king, but you're not the type of king that I expected. And so Jesus in John 18, he's going to say, yeah, my kingdom's not of this world. And if it was of this world, I would have formed an army. But look at my army. It's these 12 wimpy disciples. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, the, and Rome's like, I'm, I'm not afraid of you. But then at the same time, Jesus is affirming he's a king. So really in, in the book, I try to point out to people, we, we must not miss the politics of Jesus. But at the same time, it's not the politics that we would assume or that we would think that he has. This is so critical. And, and we could spend the entire conversation on this. So if I looked at a map, and we got to go to break in just a moment, but if I looked at a map and tr- and said to uh, Patrick, point out where the kingdom of God is on this map, which, which nation is God setting up his uh, earthly kingdom in your response would be, <laughs> yeah, my response would be, uh, the embassies of the kingdom are found in the church. And so the yes. kingdom of God is everywhere all over this land, but it is not mean that we have, or there are certain maybe Christian nations. Yes. Again, we are waiting for the time when God will fully install his kingdom, but it's manifested now in God's people in the church. All right, friends, uh, this is a a critical conversation. If you're serious about the gospel shaping your life and your life not being shaped simply by the vision of cultural pundits or commentators, 
uh, by mere opinions of men, but you sincerely want the word of God to shape the critical areas of your life. I want you to stay tuned. We're going to take a short break, but I want you to also uh, order a copy of Patrick's book. It is worth you doing now. Go to our website, equipradio.org. Click on today's program details, and, uh, and, and you'll be able to order a copy. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about what role does the dove has, have to play in all of this, and should we be subversive or submiss- submissive when it comes to politics? We'll take that up right after this. As a dad, a friend, and a neighbor, I share your concerns over the growing problems in our culture. That's why on Equip, we tackle the tough issues, learning how to respond with grace and truth. We're looking for like-minded partners to stand with us. Would you be willing to become an Equipper today? In this role, you'll give a monthly donation to support the ministry of Equip. And as an Equipper, you'll receive insider benefits, such as a bi-weekly email that contains pastoral messages prepared just for you. Become an Equipper today by calling 888-644-4144 or go to EquipRadio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Hey, we're interacting on all platforms today. Social media, question of the day that I want you to answer. Should religion and politics be separate, never intermingled, or should they be closely and tightly aligned? I want to hear your response to that. Go to our Facebook and Twitter pages at Equip Radio. We're also going to pick three of you to bless with a complimentary copy of the political gospel just because we like you and we really want you to grow in your knowledge and relationship with Jesus. So go to social media today, answer the question of the day, and we will pick three names that we believe will be uh, blessed through uh, Patrick Schreiner's newest book entitled The Political Gospel. Uh, Patrick, I want to get back uh, to this whole thought of the dove and the role of the Holy Spirit in all of this. Yeah, so, you know, I, I talked about the kingdom of God, how Jesus announced the kingdom of God. It sounds like he's coming to wipe away all earthly kingdoms with that kind of language. And when you read the Bible, you find out, oh, that's not what he did. And one story that I think we kind of miss what's going on in terms of the politics of Jesus is the story of Jesus's baptism. Yes. Now, I think we rightly understand that the baptism is kind of the inauguration of the king. He's chosen as the king. He's identified as the king. But there's this interesting detail where the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but, you know, why is it a dove? And as I started reading kind of background information, I I realized that I didn't know my Roman history, that it was actually at the flight of an eagle or the landing of an eagle that often Roman emperors were chosen. And so you see this throughout history in what they called this augury. So they would read the flight of the birds and they thought the gods were communicating to them through the flight of the birds. And then I went back to Jesus's baptism where he's chosen, he's designated as the king. And suddenly you see, okay, eagles are symbols for Rome and eagles are symbols for war and strength and power and dominion. But doves symbolize peace, purity, serenity, gentleness. And so the dove 
confirms the political nature of Jesus's message and ministry, yet it also indicates Jesus's political program was radically different from Rome's. He was establishing a different kind of kingdom. So Jesus didn't come to conquer but by the sword, but by sacrifice. So the dove is actually a symbol of peace. So while Jesus, and this is the paradox that I introduce in the book, while Jesus does introduce and declare that his kingdom is at hand and Rome's like, what are we to do with this? He also says, you know how I'm going to install it? By sacrifice and by peace. And so I'm not after Caesar's throne. My kingdom is much bigger than you think. And so while this message challenges the rulers of the day, he would not take arms up against them. So, so there I put kind of the message of the kingdom, the way of the kingdom, but you have to pair that with the way of the dove. And I think Christians either think Christianity is this kind of conquering dominion force, or we're just always submissive and we always listen to what we're told to do. What we find in the scriptures is that the paradox is that both are true at the same time. Yeah, so uh, I think what you just articulated is absolutely uh, amazing and beautiful. I'm still stuck at the fact, though, that you're telling me that uh, it was a dove that descended, not a donkey or an elephant. And I'm just trying to process, <laughs> process that. Uh, That's so right. We'll, we'll come back to that in, in, in just a moment. But it, it seems that would have like, been a very strange scene to watch. That would have been a very strange scene. But I, but I think a, a, a perfect segue into the moment that we currently live in. You brought intention in this book that we need to be both subversive and submissive, it is really, really hard to imagine both. So help us understand how are these virtues of subversion and submission not mutually exclusive? Yeah, you know, it's such a hard thing to deal with because you see in the Bible both realities. You run to a text like Romans 13 or 1 Peter 2, where Peter and Paul, they command, what are we to do to governing authorities? And they say, submit to them. And it's, you know, we need to remember who they're saying this about. They're saying this about Rome again. And Rome is the government that killed their savior. And according to tradition, it's going to be the government that kills Peter and Paul themselves. So the ones that will die under Rome's sword actually say to submit. But at the same time, at the very same time, these are the same apostles who would go before the governing authorities and say, we can't submit to you. We must submit to God and what he says when you tell us to stop preaching. Or these are the same type of governing authorities that a Daniel would interact with or an Esther would interact with. And so these are the same governing authorities that actually end up arresting Paul and Jesus and so forth and so on. So it so seems that in the scriptures, we have the realities of both subverting yes. the government and submitting. So how can both of those be true at the same time? Well, one way I like to say it is both Revelation 13 and Romans 13 exist in our Bible at the same time. Now, Revelation 13, you may we probably have to go back and think about what that says, but essentially it's saying that there will be beasts that rise out of the both the land and the sea, and these represent human governments, and they come from the dragon who is Satan. That's Revelation 13. So Revelation 13 is saying human governments sometimes 
derive their power and authority from Satan himself. Now, go back to Romans 13. Romans 13 says God has appointed these authorities. Now, here's the difficulty. I think both of those things are true at the same time. So what do we do with that? How do we reconcile those two realities? Well, I think the most helpful way of thinking about this is in terms of the age that we live in. We live in the already not yet. What that means is that Christ's kingdom has already come in Jesus Christ and in his people. But there's an overlap of the ages. The old age is still here while the new age is breaking in. And so what does that mean? Well, it means the old age exists, the human governments can continue to exist, and the scriptures say to support them. But at the same time, there's an overlap. It's kind of like a Venn diagram, right? There's an overlap where the kingdom of yes. God is breaking in. So what that means is the human governments can still exist and they can still do good. But at the yes. same time, we are loyal. We are our primary allegiance is to the new kingdom that is not fully here yet. So, so well that said. overlap of the ages teaches us both submit and subvert. So well said. All right, friends, we have laid the theological groundwork. Now let's take it from uh, the, the theological to the practical. How do we live out this theology? So should we be members of a political party or should we be politically homeless? What if a party embodies some of our values, but not all of them or a candidate? How do we process all of this? We're going to talk about that and much more next up on Equip with Chris Brooks. Make plans to be with me for the next Equipper Zoom webinar. Join me on Thursday, November 17th, right after the program. We'll be addressing the topic, the Christian and politics. I'll share ways that we can faithfully navigate the political process and keep our hearts aligned with God's purpose for this world. This webinar is a perk of being part of our team of Equippers, our monthly partners. So Equippers, check your inbox for an email from me with registration details for this free interactive meeting. Not an Equipper and want to attend? Become a monthly partner by calling 888-644-4144 or online at EquipRadio.org. We all want to live joy-filled lives, filled with satisfaction in God. But that life is not automatic, even for seasoned saints. So what do you do when you're weary in the battle and you want to give up? John Piper's book, When I Don't Desire God, will energize you as you fight for joy and encourage others along the way. Ask for your copy when you support Equip this month. Call 888-644-4144 or go to EquipRadio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Hey, friends, I want to say thank you for your support prayerfully and financially. We know that we're here because of God's grace and your generosity. If we've been a blessing to you, if you've enjoyed conversations like the one you're hearing today, can you stand with us? Uh, call the number 888-644-4144 to give a one-time generous donation or become a monthly partner. We call those good folks Equippers. The number again, 888-644-4144 or go to equipradio.org. My guest today is Dr. Patrick Schreiner. He's Associate Professor of New Testament and Biblical Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. His newest book, The Political Gospel, I love it because I believe it gets at the heart of the times that we live in, subtitled, 
public witness in a politically crazy world. Now, the question of the day on Facebook and Twitter, should religion and politics be separate, never mingled, or should they be tightly aligned, our faith in our earthly politics? Please go there, weigh in. Also, we're going to pick three names to give complimentary copies of Political Gospel to, so please go there today. Uh, Patrick, um, I want to make this part of the conversation what uh, I would call applied theology, if you will. You have laid a great biblical framework for how we should think about politics as it relates to Jesus, our King of Kings and Lord of Lords, uh, and his uh, kingdom uh, being established. Uh, can you now help us to Americanize that, if you will, for a moment and apply it to where we, we live? Um, what do you say about the thought of a Christian being a part of a political party? Uh, is there any prohibition to that or what wisdom or caution does the scriptures give? Yeah, these are quite great questions. And, you know, I say at the beginning of the book, I'm not trying to make you left or right. I'm not trying to get you to vote necessarily in a certain way. I'm trying to build a foundation in the book for how to think about these things. I think our moment is always changing it's going to always be changing. And one of the problems is that we often begin with speaking about the issues rather than talking about the foundation of how we think biblically about these things. However, having said that, I'm not just trying to avoid the question. <laughs> uh, I, we do need to get to practical, like how does this play out in our lives in our current moment? It is not wrong to be a part of a political party. However, at the same time, I would say that it's important to remember that our primary identity, our primary loyalty is found in Christ himself. So one thing to remember is that your closest relationships are found in Christ and in his body, which means you are closer and more united to an African, Asian, uh, New Zealand brother or sister in Christ than you are from a neighbor who is down the street from you who votes exactly the same as you. So while I don't deny that it's okay to be part of a political party. It's okay to believe this aligns more closely with the Christian tradition, what will be good for humanity and the scriptures themselves. Uh, I, I want to make sure that we don't, um, that we don't put that loyalty above our loyalty to Christ and his people. And that's where I'm concerned as I began this conversation that Christians are dividing amongst themselves over these political things when they should not in one sense divide us because we're united at a greater level. And so, yes, you can be a part of a political party and you can even be someone who um, furthers that platform because we really believe that, uh, you know, when you, when you come to engaging the world, you have to decide ethically which way you should go and what is going to be the best for the rest of humanity. And that's an okay thing. So another way to say this is, you know, patriotism, patriotism is not wrong. <laughs> it's okay to love the place that you live. It's okay uh, to love your neighborhood or to love the state that you're from and to have a certain affinity to it. What, what gets complicated is when patriotism or a love of the land begins to become too primary in your life. 
So when we think about political engagement, and I think what you just said was really, really helpful. When we think about political engagement in the construct or framework of subversion and submission, it seems like what you're saying to us is be submissive to ultimately your heavenly authority. And in as much as your earthly authority is aligning with that, or at least not calling you to violate conscience and obedience to your heavenly authority, be submissive. But in as much as your earthly authority is um, enacting or pressuring you culturally to disobedience to your heavenly authority, that's where we need to be subversive. Is, Is that a right summary or no? Yeah, I think that's a great summary. I mean, really, all of this stems from we believe God is sovereign over our lives, and therefore we are submitting to him in subverting the government when we have to. So we are submitting to a higher authority because we believe from the scriptures that he has appointed these authorities. So in submitting or subverting them, we are actually submitting to him. So yes, that's that's exactly the paradigm that we have to walk into. And you know what gets really complicated is I think sometimes we get confused about um, our freedom as Christians and our freedom as Americans. And sometimes we confuse the two because we are, if we live in America, American Christians. And sometimes we just get confused about which one we're fighting for. And so one of the helpful things to remember is that God has given the government a certain authority but he has also not given the government uh, another type of authority. And what I mean by that is the government's authority is limited. Let's just give an example. The authority of the church is given the keys of the kingdom. So we get to declare what doctrine is, who is uh, a part of our church, and who is not a part of our church. That's not the government's role. And so we need to be careful to recognize there's different spheres where there is authority that the government has, and there are certain spheres where there is authority that the church or God himself has. And that this is where it becomes uh, very applicable, because I don't think the government, in one sense, has the authority, let's just give a practical example, to redefine marriage. That goes above their pay grade, <laughs> because God has defined marriage. And so for them to redefine marriage is therefore to go beyond their authority. And I think that's where we come and we actually have to subvert or we disagree with the government on some of those rulings because we recognize God as our ultimate authority. All right. You used the term earlier, and I think most people probably heard it in passing, uh, maybe said, hey, that kind of sounds like how I feel, but not quite sure what it meant. You said hey, uh, I kind of feel politically homeless. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people describing themselves that way uh, or at least feeling that. What do you mean by that? Yeah, you know, you asked me the question, you know, this topic, sometimes people are just tired of it because there's, there's so much going on. It feels like everyone's yelling at each other and we're just tired of the conversation. And, you know, as I've watched the political sphere, it just feels like, the whole point of both parties is to win at whatever cost Mm. right now in America. And I am frustrated because I feel like they're no longer thinking about the interests of um, their citizens. And this is not true across the board. I realize I'm generalizing, but it feels like from someone watching that they're more interested in power than actually doing what is good for the nation. And so as I watch that, 
And then I watch them um, treat one another in in ways that um, honestly it 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 shocks me, and um, it seems dehumanizing in the way that they speak about one another. That I become. I've begun, I've begun to realize I just don't fit very well with either political party personally. And, you know, other people might describe that differently, but I think Christ's kingdom, you know, uh, maybe I'll give this example. Tim Keller, I I heard him um, speak about what the earliest Christians were for. And he gave five examples and I'll probably only remember a few of them right now. Um, But he goes, the earliest Christians were very strong on, on a strict sexual ethic. The earliest Christians were very strong on caring for the poor. Yes. The earliest Christians were very much against um, what they call exposing their children, which is abortion. Um, the earliest Christians were very much for ethnic harmony and unity. And if you just line up those four issues, I didn't get to all five, but if you line up those four issues, two of those seems to fit very well with the Democratic Party in some sense, and two of them fit very well with the Republican Party. And so as I look at the issues, I'm like, yeah, I just feel politically homeless because I think Christ's kingdom transcends all of this. Yeah, and, and this is where it's important to understand because what, what some people will do is say, exactly, Patrick, this is why I opt out of all of it, right? And this is where I would say it does make voting on one hand complicated, in particular when you're voting for candidates, because so often in our current political age, candidates are so fully aligned with their political, uh, their uh, party's ideologies that they are either afraid to be able to say, hey, on this point, I think differently. Uh, They're afraid of the backlash that will come from that or maybe just uh, not, not thinking deeply about these issues. But it's important for us to remember that there's a lot on our ballots. It's not just who do you want in that Senate seat or who do you want for governor or who do you want to oversee your local uh, government? Um, It is also, what do you think about this proposal, right? And those areas, uh, the nonpartisan areas, if you will, of our ballot are equally as important as the candidates we vote for. I don't disconnect the two fully, but there are there is a difference and it's important for us, just like every other American, to be able to express our view of human flourishing, which for you and I as Christians should be shaped by the teachings of Jesus, by the gospel. It's important for us to do that to the best of our abilities. So I just appreciate your honesty because I think what you're articulating is where a lot of folks are. But please don't hear Patrick saying, and therefore don't engage. Or, and therefore let that frustration then limit your civic interaction. He's laid out biblically why we should as representatives of the kingdom. But he's also, I think, given us the ability to be honest about the difficulty, the dilemma of it all. So if you're looking for that perfect candidate to come, that ain't happening until Jesus comes back. Um, but the reality is here we try to do our best to do as much good as possible in as, in as many ways as possible. Listen, I want to take uh, my final break. But when we come back, what do we do with imperfect candidates? I love to hear you respond to that. And I hope 
that you're awaiting the king's return, friends. How does all of that play into our current moment? Jesus is coming back. That's good news. Maybe you sang about it in church recently. He's coming back again. But how does that play out into the way we need to live today? Patrick Schreiner has written a book that's a gift to the body of Christ, in my opinion. Friends, I want you to pick up Political Gospel, Public Witness, in a Politically Crazy World. Why don't you go there now? If you want to know what God's Word has to say, how the kingdom impacts this moment, and how to bear faithful witness in this area, go to our website, equipradio.org, and you can find out ordering details. Don't go away. Much more to come next up on Equip with Chris Brooks. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. So grateful for you joining us today. I hope you've grown. I hope that you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. Patrick Streiner is my guest. He's written a wonderful book. I've talked a lot about it, Political Gospel. It's one of those books that I believe you should add to your library as you seek to be formed fully as a disciple of Christ in every area of your life. Hopefully, your perspective of Scripture is shaping your political view as well. Listen, uh, there are still opportunities for you to chime in on social media. The question of the day, should religion and politics be separated or should they be tightly aligned with one another? I'd love to hear your opinion on that, feedback on that. We're also going to pick three folks to send a complimentary copy of the political gospel to Uh, All you have to do is go to our Facebook and Twitter pages, interact with us there. We'll pick the three names. But if your name is not picked, do not fret. Do not worry. You can still order a copy. Go to EquipRadio.org to find out more. Well, I said before we went to break, Patrick, Jesus is coming back again. That is really good news, isn't it? Yeah, that gives us ultimate hope, doesn't it? And, you know, one of the things I wanted to do in this book is remind people no matter what happens in the election, Christians are hopeful people. And so we know Jesus Christ is coming back and he's going to install his kingdom. And so we should be concerned about what's going on. We should care, as you mentioned, even our last segment. But ultimately, we can rise above it. And as some people describe, we can be a non-anxious presence. And I think that's really important. We as Christians should not get so worked up as the world does about these issues. You know, Paul describes it as being sober minded. (laughs) And so I think that's a good term for us. We should be sober minded in terms of our politics. Yeah, I love that. Non-anxious presence. That is really, really good. It doesn't mean we don't care. It does Mm -hmm. not mean that we don't care. It sounds like what you're saying through that is we don't worry as Paul says it this way in First Thessalonians 4, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We don't worry as those who have no hope, do we? That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, we, we recognize uh, Jesus's church will advance and will continue to grow. Christ promised that in Matthew 16. <laughs> the gates of hell will no, not overpower it. And so that means even if your candidate isn't elected, or if you feel like our nation is going down the tube, as a Christian, you still have hope. And so we don't grieve like the rest of the people. We keep pressing forward. And we keep, you know, one of the things I wanted to rec- people to recognize is we keep advocating for Christ's kingdom. Because 
again, we, we think of our faith mainly in it's, it's a private thing between us and Jesus. But remember what you're doing as you go to the church. Every time you hear a sermon, you're hearing a political speech. And what I mean by that is not a partisan speech, but you're hearing a political speech reminding you that Jesus is Lord. And you're also singing songs to him. You know, America has songs. America has symbols. It has flags. It has um, jerseys that we kind of put on to identify what team we're a part of. And, you know, in this book, I want to remind people the main team that you're a part of is Christ and his kingdom. You know, we have symbols as well. They're called the ordinances or sacraments. And in baptism, we kind of put on Jesus's jersey and we walk forward. And in communion, we remind ourselves we're a part of his team. And so honestly, just even framing the, the gathering of God's people in terms of a political assembly, I think will help remind us of our true loyalty. Well, I, I think that what you have done here is helped us to go back to the word of God and to understand first and foremost, it is that acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord, that Christ is ultimately after. But then I think you've done a good job in helping us to understand through this uh, subversiveness and, and submission paradigm, how then that is practically lived out. With just days before the election, what's your hope for what Christians do the day after the election? When we wake up, on Wednesday, November 9th, what do you hope our hearts will be focused on? Yeah, I hope our hearts will be focused on both the reality of Christ's kingdom, as I already said, and that that will advance and that God has a good plan for his people. And so we don't have to despair. I hope we will be, as I said, a non-anxious presence who recognize earthly rulers come and go. <laughs> and, and that's okay. But then we also recognize at the same time that our engagement in the political sphere matters. And there is a sense in which maybe we'll have to mourn some for what has happened, or maybe we will rejoice because we believe that God's purposes for humanity either have gone forward in a greater sense or been thwarted. And so it's always that balance of not caring too much, but also not being numb to the reality. And that's where it's so hard. I think we either fall off on one side of that kind of, either we don't care at all and we're just not paying any attention to it, or we care way too much. And I think there we go back to the sober-mindedness that we recognize as Christians. We do care, but not in the same way that the world cares. Well, you have helped us immensely, my friend. If you don't mind, I'd love to pray for us. Father, I pray to bless us as Christians to welcome your kingdom, to represent your kingdom well in the earth, Lord, and to declare your your rulership, your kingship, your lordship over all. And Father, I do pray that you bless Patrick, our brother, in this wonderful book to touch the hearts of many. For your glory until all have heard, until Christ returns. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. amen. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. Friends, I want to encourage you to get a copy of Political Gospel, Public Witness in a Politically Crazy World. And also, don't forget to support the program at EquipRadio.org. Until we're together again next time, as always, remember Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.
Hey there, friends. Chris Brooks here, and I couldn't be more excited to have my good friend, Dr. Kathy Cook, joining me to talk about the most important virtue for us to instill in our children's heart, and that is gratitude. In fact, almost every other virtue hinges on gratitude. So how do we cultivate an attitude of gratitude? Find out on the next edition of Equip. Listen live weekdays at 1 Eastern, noon Central, on the Moody Radio app or equipradio.org.